Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick Rapadamaro, and Hats on Lamps. It's episode 58. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we're going to talk about how our draft week went, thank our patrons, we're bringing back Listener of the Week for a week, we're going to do our card of the week, seven win run breakdown, and a mini main topic, keeping your edge as the format matures, as well as review um, a draft. So to begin with, Hats, how was your draft week? Uh, hi, uh, it was it was good. Um, it was a good draft week. It's the beginning of the month, more or less, and I got back into Masters, and I'm sitting around in the top 10 rankings. Uh, a little confused about how I got there because I didn't think I was drafting that well uh, at the very beginning of the month, but I guess I'm doing fine. And I've uh, I've won with some pretty fun decks, kind of on the backs of some unusual rares this week. Uh, I had one deck with Reality Breaker, which is a which is a pretty fun rare that you don't see that often, but uh, it has the unique ability of being able to kill all of your opponent's units while leaving your units. <laughs> unscathed <laughs> for the turn uh that's a pretty good card it does cost eight but this is uh, still a pretty slow format so you can you can stall out the board and then destroy all of your opponent's cards and then go on to win which i did i think four times uh in that run so that was unfair but it, it counts as wins <laughs> so, um, and then the other the one of the other uh seven win drafts i had had two legendaries. One was Mollet and Dakova, which is an 8-8 dragon that also wipes your opponent's board a lot of the time. Um, and Larai, uh, who is uh, a primal unit, uh, a 0-6 for 3, who can twist to search up relics from your deck, but also, and more importantly, shuts down your opponent's relic weapons and relic activations completely. Uh, which is real good in this format because a lot of people, their deck just stops working if you if they can't play relic weapons, <laughs> and their siege provisions doesn't work anymore. Uh, Waystone gate doesn't work. Like it's the rye is absurd. It, these are both legendaries, and I put them both in the same deck. And then I had a uh, I don't know. It was a, it was silly. I did it because my chat uh, encouraged me to on stream, and then it went on to win. So. I guess there's fun to be had in the format if you're willing to go down silly, silly corridors full of twists and turns to get there. So I guess I'm, I guess I'm enjoying draft, but I'm not being super competitive about it uh, right now. Uh, just trying to wring the last few drops of, uh, of, of fun out of the format before it changes. Uh, when is it going to change? Months and months from now? I'm not really sure how the schedule works. Yeah, yeah. This is something I kind of wanted to talk about because part of the part of the reason i wanted to do this main topic about talking about as like format matures and keeping your edge and having fun is i kind of assumed since they released this sort of surprise extra mini campaign that they might also change expedition up and therefore change the draft packs up yes they did not do that they have not done that so far i mean sometimes they do not announce things like that and then there is a lag and then they do it out of nowhere so 
it's not a hundred percent off the table, but so far it doesn't seem like that's the plan. Well, I don't have a calendar in front of me, but it felt like at the beginning of the set eight draft format, they were changing things up every few weeks. And now it feels like it's been the same for a little while. And I'm not sure why they stopped making changes. I think some people really hated the changes, but I liked them. I liked that the format kept changing a little bit because I knew I would get to the point where I'm at now where it's like, boy, have I drafted this a lot. Uh, <laughs> I would really appreciate some new cards or some 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 things getting emphasized and de-emphasized and just some changes, please. Mm-hmm. So when you say changing up a lot, you just meant the like changing the boosted rates of cards. Yeah, that was enough to make the format feel fresh for a little bit longer for me. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, they out, they outright added some cards at one point, and they, they yeah, that was in the, the latest update. Right. Um, And I think that's good. I think that's generally pretty healthy, uh, even if not all of those changes were necessarily healthy individually. um, Keeping the draft format changing generally is, I would say, for my taste. Um, Mm -hmm. And maybe that's because I draft too much, but I, uh, I start to get I start to get bored at a certain point and I'm starting to feel that way. Like I feel like I want to try things that I've never tried before, but there's only so many things that you can try really because you don't always get offered new and cool cards to play with in every draft. Sometimes you just have to cobble together a deck with the same old commons that you're used to. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, I don't want to complain too much, but I feel like a lot of the changes that they did, because, like I said, I think this is the third change. And it felt like each change, they changed it in a way to make the draft packs worse. <laughs> which <laughs> feels like it It makes the format feel smaller to me. I almost wish it was... <laughs> I don't know, maybe keeping the, strain, the, the influence strangers at 3x or whatever, but like keeping the draft packs feeling more powerful than they feel right now, I feel like, I don't know, would be nice because it feels like it opens up more decks as compared to to now where, I don't know, I, I don't know. We're, we'll talk about maybe things like this later, but... Sure. Yeah. Uh, the draft packs do feel a little weaker now than they have. Um, I think it's... I'm not ending up with a sort of an overabundance of of riches the same way that I was at other points in the format now because there's so many fewer playables in the packs two and three. Um, also, because there's less influence fixing, you're not it's it doesn't pay off quite as often to just go in on every single good card knowing that your influence will probably work itself out. So you have to choose a lane early. And that can feel bad because sometimes you just choose the wrong lane because uh, the signals don't work out the way that you want them to. Yeah, and we're we're going to talk about this later, but like, there's also the thing that as the format gets older, people figure out what's good and what's not good. And drafting is a self-correcting is a self-correcting format that like if something is too good, more people draft it, and therefore it gets diluted. And so I'm. You know, part of it probably is that and not that 
the draft packs are just a ton weaker or whatever. It could just be like the reason that decks don't feel like they're coming together as well as they did early in the format. You know, there's a lot of things that influence it and it's just been hard for me to like really formulate like what exactly I'm feeling is different than it felt like just a couple months ago. Okay. Well, maybe we can narrow it down as we talk about, uh, but how was your draft week? I've had a pretty good, a pretty good draft week. Um, after our disastrous last episode, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I ended up drafting an Argentport deck, um, probably splashing a color. Uh, let's see. Was it splashing a color? I don't know. It was mainly an Argentport deck, and it felt really not great to me. Just, I mean, it looked not great to me when I was drafting it. It, my units topped out at f- four cost, and there were like a lot of clunkers, like the 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 three justice two three endurance guy. Um, I had might even had the four cost two four justice endurance lady. Um, <laughs> so I I had some pretty bad units, and that was like my top end for the deck. Um, but what the deck did have, uh, were cards like, um, the, the longbow, I had the, the three cost two, one, um, quick draw weapon. I had a two face and I had a vigilante and I had a couple other weapons and, and, um, pump spells and that deck. And I had about 10, two drops. And the deck just ran over people. It felt so good. It was like really, it was the kind of deck that I really like to draft and play. And it was felt really great having it work. I like won so many games with, um, you know, with like Two-Face getting quick draw off of an entranced cultist and just being unblockable and then putting a weapon on it or some tricks and just like going to town or putting weapons on a bunch of units and then <clears throat> getting a, a vigilante out and then they all gain deadly and have quick draw. And I was really surprised because like the unit quality, there were definitely some good units, but the overall quality of the deck felt really low, but it was just like there was just enough good things going on and we talked about this a little last week, and we're going to talk about it a little this week, but I feel like decks overall are just weaker, and so it was able to find a way to win, and felt nice. So that's been my only draft this week, but it went seven wins, so I'm having a good draft week. Great. That's great. And yeah. it was nice to know that I could get an, an aggro deck could win. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we know that they can. It's just maybe the cards aren't always there for it. Yeah, I agree. And they even like this deck, it's like an aggro deck, but it it did rely on a couple like key uncommons and rares to be able to to win games. I think what what used to be true for this format before they they kind of shifted rarities around was that you'd almost never end up with enough unit weapons and combat tricks to be able to draft an aggro deck and now uh 
you 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 can't consistently get one because they don't they're not in Echoes of Eternity. But sometimes you'll get enough, and then your aggro deck will will function really well. So like it sounds like you had enough weapons that that you could actually function as an aggro deck and. I find that that's what makes the difference for me is if I can actually get those combat tricks and or weapons, then great. It feels like a deck from an entirely different format. Um, and it runs over all of the slow decks, which still exist in this format too. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, th- I don't think that was true when set eight came out because you just could, they just didn't put, um, they, they de-emphasized unit weapons so much at the start that that wasn't just going to that just wasn't going to happen and putting uh putting the rarity much higher for that uh for that 2-1 quick draw weapon uh just made a massive difference mm-hmm. yes all right so on to thanking our patrons uh you can check out our patreon at patreon.com farming eternal it's where you can it's like subscribing to a podcast where you can donate some money every month to us for as little as a dollar a month. You get access to our show notes and recording bloopers, as well as nudge us towards our Patreon goal, which we still have of having Hats on Lands teach you to play. And I promise you, it will be a lot better than last episode. <laughs> yeah, well... Presumably, presumably we won't we won't uh, disagree on on linchpin moments <laughs> and have it lead to disaster. <laughs> I don't think that's I don't think that's what happened. Is that what happened? Oh, I think it might have been, might have happened once. It might have happened once, and I think it might have happened twice. And I think maybe you were right once, and I was right once. I don't know. We'll never know. I don't know. It's in the past. How would we ever know? Yeah. How would we ever know? Um, I guess. That would require, for the people to know, it would require me to release that episode, which... Um, As of uh, this recording, hasn't happened yet. Hasn't so, happened yet, but if this is If this is a confusing time travel kind of situation for you right now, dear listeners, <laughs> then we apologize. <laughs> but what isn't confusing is how much we love our patrons. And we actually have a new patron this week, uh, Stephen R. And Stephen R., if you want us to use a name other than Stephen R, please send me an email because I, I couldn't figure out what your username is or anything. So I went with Stephen R, um, as well as our veteran pre- our patrons, Mercurio Blue, Abinago, Meagles, Madness, Tyson Blossom, Parmalee, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Cassandrith, Jed the Homrade, Raven Dragon, Esrid0215, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yist Out. And... Um, the only reason I asked you that, Stephen R., is because I assume you listen to the show since you donated to the Patreon. And then also, I wanted to bring back Listener of the Week this week. I've been meaning to do this for a little while, um, but I really wanted to say thank you to Mercurial Blue and Argo Control. Um, Mercurial Blue for just, like, always being just a great positive influence in the Discord. He's always chatting, talking about how his drafts went. Put it, he puts a, a daily quote of the inspirational quote of the day on the Discord. So he's just like really great to have around. And I really appreciate the time he takes out of his day to post on the Discord and answer people's questions and help people with their draft and just kind of talk about Eternal. So it's really great. It's really appreciated. So thank you. And then, um, and he's just a great member of the community. He's in like, he, 
he watches other streamers, he streams himself, you know, so that's cool. And then also uh, Argo Control, who um, actually used to be a, an active member of the show a long time ago, and then he stopped playing Eternal for for half a year or a year and just got back into it, joined the Discord, has been um, posting draft walkthroughs, so he does like a, a detailed breakdown in Discord of his whole draft, pick by pick. He's done a, He did a whole bunch of them at the beginning of the month, um, and so they were really cool. So I wanted to shout out Argo Control for taking the time to do that, and for all the listeners, I really urge you to kind of look through his draft picks and he's not drafting anymore this month because he hit masters and that's his goal every month but he is still in discord and i'm sure would be happy to answer any questions about the draft that you might have so yeah that's listeners of the week Thank you to the listeners of the week, and thank you to <laughs> thank you and thank you to our patrons. I never know when to jump in there because there's not an easy place. I know. I don't know. Well, I I always have these weird pauses because your lips twitch, and then I and then I oh I, see. I pause for a second to give you a chance to jump in, and then you don't say anything. So then I I keep talking, but uh, but it's okay. I'm gonna, turn, no, I'm, I'm, you, I'm, I'm gonna turn off my camera so that my lips don't twitch. <laughs> so no, it'll be even worse because then I won't I won't realize that you're not saying anything. You won't even so know fun. if I'm here. <laughs> but we do also have cards of the week. So what's your card of the week? Uh, my card of the week this week is uh, Inferno Zealot. Uh, Inferno Zealot is an Echoes of Eternity card from set eight. Uh, it it costs five fire. It is an 8-1. Uh, it has Overwhelm and Pledge. Uh, I think... I, I don't remember exactly what we said about this at the very beginning of the format. I think we probably didn't think much of it. Um, because uh, as, a, as something with one health, it can be killed by practically anything. And um, I saw that this format included the card Ruinous Burst, which does one damage to two different targets for one fire and thought anything in this format with only one health was kind of at risk for uh for for getting card disadvantage uh because it was so easy just so easy to kill the thing um and i've uh and now inferno zealot several months into the format feels like a pretty good middle of the road card especially if you're playing uh, a, a, a deck that's planning to attack every turn. And uh, it couples pretty well with a handful of cards, mostly in shadow. Uh, if you can give it quick draw, it's obviously very good. If you can give it deadly, it's very good, because if something has overwhelm and deadly, it only has to do one damage to a blocker, and all of the rest of the damage goes to the opponent's face. Um, it, uh, it, it has, it provides a huge bonus in the void to cards that care about, uh, high, high strength in the void, such as Pack Conjuring and Skeletal Dragon. Um, it just, and also it has Pledge, and any card that has Pledge sort of makes your deck function a little bit better, since you always have that first turn option of using it as power if you don't think it's going to, if you would rather have the power uh, than a than a play later in the game, so I I kind of I'm never unhappy to pick up an Unfer Inferno Zealot anymore. Now and also, uh, it 
now that the format has now that we sort of understand what the powerful cards are in the format, Inferno Zealot actually counters them pretty well. Because there's those eight eights that people get off of Waystone Gates, um, or uh, or or the Feast card that makes an eight eight as part of a, one of its uh, effects, and Inferno Zealot counters that for five power, uh, and it's not that bad. Um, it trades straight straight up for those things, and and so now I. Now I play it, and and then the other reason that I'm not worried about Ruinous Burst is that the community of drafters who know what they're doing have generally decided that Ruinous Burst isn't that great a card. It's terrific if you have spell damage, but otherwise the uh, there's not really that many units that Ruinous Burst can get an advantage against. There's People aren't playing so many one-health units that you can kill two of them with Burst. So most people don't main deck it um, unless they're in very specific decks, which means that cards like Zealot almost always trade for at least one other card and, uh, and, and then get some damage through the opponent's face besides. So it's a lot better than it used to be. Uh, I'm not picking it over genuinely good cards. Um, it's, more of a, it's more of a four or five on the 10-point scale still if I had to be hammered to the floor and give it a score. But I... Um, it's one of the cards that's changed the most for me since my initial uh, appraisal of it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, ruinous burst because the fact that I'm I keep sort of I don't know going the fact that I like Inferno Zealot just makes me think that maybe ruinous burst is secretly better than it seems. Because when I think about this format, I think it's both true that there's a lot of X1s and a lot of ways to punish X1s. And so I don't understand how all of these X1s can be good <laughs> with, and everyone can agree that all of these ways to kill X1s are not good. And, I mean, that's the way I draft. That's the way it feels to me. But... I just wonder if that's wrong, especially now I feel like the people at large are higher on Inferno Zealot. Does that mean it's time to start exploring new ways to counter this that maybe we had overlooked at first or decided were bad earlier, like like Ruinous Burst? It's a good question, and I think that kind of leads in into the main topic that we're going to be talking about uh, to some degree, because as people's appraisals of cards shift and change, then the appraisals of the countermeasures should shift and change. And then you're kind of staying ahead of the metagame if you have a sense of what people that you're being matched up against are doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Because uh, somehow, even though I've taken and played Inferno Zealot many times at this time, um, I I've, I don't think I've ever had it get Ruinous Bursted. And I've had Ruinous Burst played against me at times. And I've played Zealots, but that never happens in the same game. <laughs> and that maybe I just got lucky, I don't know. It would feel pretty bad to play an Inferno Zealot and then have that and my Burning Core Drake uh, get t- both taken out by Ruinous Burst. Um, maybe I don't play... 
Inferno Zealots if I already have a Burning Core Drake on the field. Maybe when I play a Burning Core Drake and somebody has a Ruinous Burst in their hand, they don't wait for another one health thing to come down before they spend it. So you just don't find yourself in that many situations where you do get uh, two for one by the burst. Yeah. Uh, But I would say even just killing your Inferno Zealot and doing one damage to face for one power... That would feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. It just never happened to me. I don't know yeah. what to tell you. <laughs> I just maybe I'm just still stuck. I talked about this deck a couple weeks or the game a couple weeks ago where I just played against someone with Spitfire and then just felt helpless the rest of the game because I had cards like Inferno Zealot yeah. and a lot of like there was a lot of like two threes versus two threes on the board and stuff where it just like I felt like helpless against this <laughs> this one damage ping effect, and it just maybe that's like really stuck with me. Is maybe doing one damage <laughs> is better than I've been giving it credit for. That is different from Ruinous Burst, though, since it's a repeatable effect. Uh, Spitfire uh, it can, it, in the situation like you're describing, can dominate the board until you can destroy it whereas ruinous burst at least you can force them to trade with something even though trading your five power unit for a one power spell isn't great at least you make them use a spell um i but also i do think that if people get into the habit of playing inferno zealots and skeletal dragons as though they don't have a drawback then i'm going to start playing ruinous burst a little higher and picking Mm -hmm. them higher again I will, like I was at the beginning of the format because I thought Ruinous Burst would be better than it turned out being. All right. And so my card of the week this week is Ensnare, which is the one justice fast spell, kill an attacking enemy unit with flying. So this card maybe has the biggest delta between how playable I think it is and how badly and often... I get wrecked by this card. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sure. So you're, what you're saying is that you don't draft and play it yourself, usually. Yes. But sometimes it takes out something important, Sky Horror Draconis or something, and it feels real bad. Yeah. And so people are definitely playing this card, and they're definitely wrecking people like me who are playing Flyers. Mm-hmm. But I still can't bring myself to put this in my deck. And I mean, I can imagine a deck where you're low on removal or you just like really need some form of interaction where this would go. But that's like, uh, for me, that's like a desperate situation as compared to, oh, this is a card I want in my deck. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can never count on your opponents valuing cards the same way that you do. And uh, some people, no matter how late we are into the format, are going to see Ensnare and say, oh, I kill a unit for one. Great. This is still the greatest card. This is Swords to Plowshares for (laughs) Flyers with no drawbacks. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I mean, you're still going to get it played against you. I don't play it because there's usually my plan... If somebody plays a large flyer, will be like sort of encompassed by the other cards in my deck, usually. 
um, either I have enough rectifiers or other ways to silence something which takes care of flyers, or my plan against flyers is that I'm playing ground units which are generally larger than flyers, and so I'll be able to race them. Because usually flyers are smaller than other units, and the plan against them is to attack. So you don't need the ensnare because it, you've got your 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 main plan already is better than the flying the flyer deck. Uh, however, if you don't have adequate defense uh, against flyers and you don't have a particularly aggressive deck and you're likely to get into board stalls and be trying to value out your opponent, then I can see ensnare being sort of part of your toolbox. Uh, of being able to defend yourself if uh, like if your opponent has time to get up to the point where they're playing like Skyhorde Draconis or maybe an uncommon or a rare um, then Ensnare can take care of it. I just haven't had a deck in a while that needed it mm-hmm. so I guess uh, it, it's hard for me to exactly envision what deck that would be where I didn't have any other answers but I was also afraid of, of losing the game to Flyers um, and of course yes. Being a responsible, experienced drafter and all of that, I, I, I don't like to take cards that have a high chance of being useless in my hand. Yes, I, I agree. And yeah, it's just too, situa- it's too situational. I would rather have a Biting Winds 100% of the time. <laughs> yeah, Biting Winds deals with all of those flyers, plus many other things. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a much better card. Um, it costs more, and it's it's so much better than Ensnare that it it it's still better, uh, as a, a better quality card. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know when Ensnare works. There's not that many ways of giving your opponent's units flying, uh, w- which would be sort of a cute way of of killing them. But if you do that, then I would rather have a bring down, you know, like there's another card that kills flying units, but you don't have to wait for them to attack. Uh, And it's a dramatically better card. If you give your opponent flying at not fast speed or something, I feel like they're not a realize something. (laughs) It does seem that way. Yeah, if you like Cobalt Acolyte, one of their units, they're like, here, I don't care anymore. Kill me. I do feel like I would be suspicious at that point if if my opponent does that to me. Uh, <laughs> does yeah. If levitate still worked on your opponent's units, then you could do funny tricks like levitate something on on its way in and then ensnare it. Uh, that's not the worst idea, but it is impossible since levitate only works on your own units now. Yeah. All right. Cool. So on to seven win run breakdown. This is our longstanding data collection project here at Farming Eternal, where. Listeners send in their seven win drafts to farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them to the seven win channel on Farming Eternal Discord. We accept them as export deck lists or any kind of Warcry link. And then we say, wow, cool deck. And then we read their name on the podcast. So uh, once, as all, well, <laughs> actually, we'll get to that. I do, okay. I would like to thank John Holio for entering all the lists. And then. Mention that uh, this week we didn't update the names. Um, I'm blaming this on Google Drive. They changed how they share files. And so John, I think, 
did not get a notification that I I created the show notes, so I think he assumed that we just weren't doing a show during our normal time because sometimes we do that to John, and um, <laughs> <laughs> so it it was it was definitely a justified assumption. Um, so he didn't enter the new contributors for this week, but I know there were a bunch of you out there, and we do appreciate all of your contributions. It's I think been a really great thing we've been doing on the for the podcast it's been a really awesome community building thing and it's really fun to see everyone's decks so thank you as always for sending them in um so yeah again same thing as always time doing the best everyone's sticking about the same so that's kind of interesting that you know after the first week or two of this new 8.5 format you know things kind of have stayed the same. So there were no real outliers early on, you know, so time still about two thirds of decks have time. Um, and everything else is in the thirties to 40% range. Um, the one interesting thing that I didn't mention last week is this is the first of these set eight formats where we're averaging less than three colors per deck. So, um, there still are a lot, mostly three-color decks, but um, this is the first time where where most of the decks are two colors and a splash as compared to solidly three colors. So I think you know the these the stringent influence requirements of a lot of the cards and the lack of fixing is finally catching up with people and it's kind of showing up in the types of decks people are drafting. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and also kind of that's, that's more or less been my experience. I went through a period there where I was pretty comfortable drafting four or five faction decks. And I've been trying to avoid that because I've ended up with, uh, with power bases that just can't support it. Uh, maybe one time too often. So now I'm trying to find my lane a little bit earlier rather than just picking up good cards for the entire first pack. Um, I've, yeah, I've ended up short on playables with a couple of decks now, and I and I don't like that. That's my least favorite way to end a draft. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I definitely... People are still sending in four-color decks and five-color decks, so that is definitely still a possibility, but... People are being a little, at least the new decks are being a little bit, are, um, oh geez, I just lost the word, are being a little bit more disciplined with their power bases. So, yeah, yeah picking, I've, I've started valuing unfamiliar interlopers higher than I was, uh, at the beginning of set eight. Um, Back when there was back when the influence strangers were were really common in packs two and three, I wasn't picking up unfamiliar interlopers. That's the one two stranger that uh, je that creates any color of influence that you want when you play it, and it also has corrupted, so it can do it again after it dies, and it can chump block twice. And I because it had not very much impact on the board, I wasn't valuing them all that highly uh, at the beginning, and you would end up with enough influence of any color that you wanted but now that the strangers aren't as common um i take interlopers a lot higher because it gives me the freedom to play powerful cards later uh that's always what the card did is it gave you the freedom to play more powerful cards in various different factions 
but it wasn't as important to pick them up um, for me uh, back when back when it was easier to put together a good strong power base and now it's harder and so those interlopers I'll, I'll, I'll take them and play them now a lot more than I did I think I just said the same thing three different ways <laughs> no it's okay yeah it, interloper is an interesting one because I, I agree they have definitely gotten more valuable but I had a pretty interesting discussion with someone on discord this week where this is actually the draft I or the draft I talked about earlier the um, the Argentport deck yeah. Where I just now that I'm looking at the spreadsheet, it was actually just Argentport. I ended up not splashing, um, and even though I didn't splash when I posted the deck list, someone mentioned that, or for like what I should cut, someone had I said I was going to cut the interloper from the deck if I wasn't splashing because it was just two colors. I mean, I did have double justice and double shadow in it. And I had uh, the four Justice, Justice, Shadow, Shadow, Paladin Lady, that when you decimate power, gains plus one, plus one to all your Paladins, and Mastery 20, your opponent loses all their influence. Sure. So it did have that in the deck. But I had had a a one-on-color Stranger that hit Justice and one that hit Shadow, and I had one um, other piece of fixing, and it just really felt like I didn't need an interloper in what was otherwise an aggressive deck. But but uh, Aloran thought that it, it the deck could use influ- interloper just because having good influence is always great. And it was kind of interesting. I felt like maybe he had gone too far and now overvaluing interloper and what it's doing. Like it's still, you know, this was like, it still needs to fit the game plan. And if your game plan isn't like having difficult influence and playing really good cards in those influences, it feels like interloper. It's not actually that good of a card if it's not doing it. If it's not, I would letting you play your best cards. Yeah. I would agree agree with you there um I, I mean it feels like i guess it can sometimes feel like there's no drawback to playing it since it helps your influence and then your deck runs smoother but the fact that it's a card that you can that you can draw and it's only it's only going to be a one two in terms of its board impact does mean that there's a huge drawback to putting it in your deck so um i think if you don't need it to fix your influence then yeah you leave it out um, it, it depends on what your influence requirements are, I guess. Uh, like you, it you normally want to play it on turn two, and then you're losing a, a huge amount of tempo if you want to be attacking. So, yes. Um, I think yeah, that that's it's interesting. Thinking about. Yeah, I mean, obviously, without the specifics of the deck, it's hard. But it was interesting because he was like, "Well, it'll help you play." Uh, whatever that 4-4 is. And I was like, well, the 4-4 is not... Lydia, I think? Lydia, maybe, yeah. It's not that... The 4-4 is more or less just a 4-4 for 4 in this deck, because I don't have... I have a few ways to decimate, but that's not super easy to do in draft. And I don't... I didn't actually think I was ever getting it to Mastery 20. And so I was like, I don't really want to play a bad 2-drop to so I can some 
more easily play my medium four drop was yeah. how I was kind of looking at it. It's it's Nivea most devoted. I looked it up finally. Uh, it looks kind of like the unless you had a whole bunch of uh, unless you had some actual decimate cards, which I doubt you did because there's not that many of them. It's just a four. I, four I mean, four, I had four. like three. You know, I I had two con. I mean, I had a couple. I had two did conjurings. You? I had the 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 win the game plus one plus one decimate to give three units. Oh sure. Plus one plus one. Uh yeah okay and I had like four paladin I mean it, it the she wasn't awful in the deck but but I still felt like I was I wanted to play a two drop put a weapon on it and win the game and then sometimes play this four drop and um anyway I just the point being I I'm not saying even um that Lauren was wrong or anything it didn't feel correct to me but it did make me think like I. I did just want to talk about how I do think even though um, Interloper is better than I initially pegged it at, it's still not in and of itself a great card. It's a good card in enabling you to play your great cards. And so if if you don't have any of those great cards that you need to play, then, you know, you shouldn't be putting this in your deck you should, it's it's not in and of itself going to win you the game. It's enabling you to win the game with other cards, but you need those other cards, and you need you need to have the difficult influence, or else it's not worth playing. Yeah, um, yeah, I would generally agree with you. I think, uh, I mean, anytime you put in a card that that where its primary function is to help other cards get played or make other cards better you have to remember that you're putting that there instead of another card that would have impact by itself mm-hmm. and um and that's always going to be a trade-off uh, and interloper has the advantage of being something that kind of blocks twice also it fixes your influence twice so it it's it's always kind of fine <laughs> um uh and I think in a lot of situations, like, but I don't know. It, it's not. I think it, I think an aggressive deck is like the one time when I at this point in the format where I would look at taking it out. Uh, and so maybe uh, maybe the deck that you're talking about it, uh, is the is sort of the perfect situation to think about taking out Interloper because I found that even though it's a bad top deck. And even though it is a big tempo loss when you play it on turn two, if your opponent is doing basically anything at all, um, most decks that I play in this format, uh, like it's the best. It's one of the best ways of of making them run smoothly. Just yeah. the most reliable uh, way to do it, and especially because you can pick them up in pack one without worrying about what factions you're already in, and think. Well, if I end up in three factions, this card's making it in, making it in my deck probably, um, and it's still very likely that that will happen. So yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot going on there, uh, but um, there's a lot going on there. But I think that if you if you if you ever like shut down the part of your brain that's questioning, hey, is this actually good in my deck, or is it just a generically good card that no one ever cuts, and that's why I'm playing it? 
then you've lost part of your edge. So I think it's good to to look at it in 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 a deck and say maybe this isn't the deck for it. However, in the deck that you're talking about, um, just being able to consistently play any two drop and then drop a a, 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 a blackguard sidearm or whatever that card is on it is still good. Like it's not as good to to have like a three two with quick draw as opposed to a fourth or a three three with quick draw as opposed to a four three with quick draw and deadly. That's not as good. But being able to consistently make a two drop and then put blackguard sidearm on it on turn three uh, is good. So maybe it was good in that sense, even though it's not a very attacky sort of a card. It's attacky once it's got a sidearm on it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, in this specific deck, I had like 10 other two drops. Oh, then, yeah, I think I think cutting it is probably fine. Aloran's Alor- I mean, a very I, good I player. That empirically that right, right, I got seven wins. Um, but... Yeah, there you go. Yeah, sure. Did you take out the interloper? I did take out the interloper, yeah. Well, that means it was definitely the correct decision. Yeah, <laughs> yeah seven wins to prove it. No, that's not how it works, in case anyone's I, curious I, whether I'm joking. Um, yeah, all right. So I think we'll move on to our main topic now, which um, we've been hinting at this whole episode, and that's kind of just talking about now that we're living in this world of this ex- extended formats with incremental changes and we're definitely in i would i would now call this a mature format i i thought we just wanted to talk about sort of how do you keep your edge in these kind of situations and um you know for me this has come up a lot in in two ways one is a lot of the decks that i had a lot of success with early I don't see anymore. And then also in playing my games, like the decks I'm playing against all seem worse and my decks seem worse. And you've kind of talked about it where you've had a few decks where you're struggling with playables and that felt like it never really happened. Felt a lot easier to like find your lane in like these pre-prescribed like (laughs) dire wolf, five factions before and um all of this has gotten harder and like a lot more nebulous which is which is kind of interesting because you're like well as a format matures it things should clear up and and that has not <laughs> been my experience so i thought we would just kind of hear your thoughts on that have a discussion yeah uh, well i think i mean there's i don't have any easy answers um i still seem to have some kind of edge um according to the way the game ranks players but i think it's probably the cumulative effect of a lot of things rather than like any like like you know five here's my top five things i do to keep my edge i don't think that there's anything in particular um i just uh I'm, I just sort of am open to keeping on reevaluating things and not letting my preconceptions dictate how I how I draft. Like uh, part of it is that I do stream and people in the chat will tell me their opinions and some of them are better than others. But sometimes uh, someone will say something that I instinctively disagree with, but they're a player that I respect. And so it might change uh, how I look at things a little bit. Um, that helps keep me evolved. But um that helps keep me evolve that helps evolve me keep keep me evolving it helps keep me evolving and 
but if I can, I, I guess I can try to be a little bit more specific. Um, and I hinted at this with, with the whole Inferno Zealot Ruinous Burst uh, discussion is that as people discover things about the format, you can uh, adjust how you value the answers to those things. And people have caught on, to, uh, for, for a more concrete example, people have caught on to relics. People have caught on to the fact that relics, relic weapons are good. Cards like Tainted Mark and Mysterious Waystone are playable. Um, and sometimes, if they're unanswered, can take over entire games. And so now I'm comfortable main decking cards like Disjunction, even if they will, um, even if they'll never bring back uh, my own attachment from the yard. Uh, it's important enough to be able to kill opponent's attachments, and it happens often enough that I'll have to, that it doesn't feel like a uh, it doesn't feel like a situational card the same way that I guess Ensnare does. Like it's more important to be able to kill attachments than it is to be able to kill flyers in this specific format. We really need to get a disjunction counter or bell. So yeah, just ring it. I'm the, that's our new Patreon goal. I changed it. <laughs> Getting a soundboard. <laughs> it's just to have a disjunction button. For when Hats brings up disjunction, is that the deal? Yeah, yeah that's. I don't. I don't know. I feel like I talked about it mostly in the last in the last episode, so it feels like we've talked about it more than we actually have. Uh, it's debatable, Jed. Jed, check the tape. All right, but anyway, but the, uh, even though even if I've talked about it a lot, it's a good example of this because that I mean, you know, <laughs> no need to justify yourself. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, but another example is Ruinous Burst, you know, where uh, where where cards like Zealot and Ske uh, I guess Skeletal Dragon's still a little bit of a dodgy card, but it's playable in some decks. Um, you know, the less people are playing Burst, the more you can play cards that don't die to, that that would die to Burst, mm -hmm. and uh, um, if people are are trying to draft more aggressive decks, then you can. Uh, you can you can play and draft defensively uh, in order to counter that. Uh, you can value you know sort of random lifesteal effects, but more uh, just stuff like that. Um, and, and knowing that the format has so much silence in it uh, is like because now we have re not only rectifier but peacekeeper's helm, um, and those are highly playable cards. So sometimes you'll run into decks that can just silence your units endlessly and so valuing cards for just being big beefy units instead of units with special abilities can sometimes pay off uh there's a lot of little things like that and if you're aware of them it can sort of add up to having an edge over people who aren't making those adjustments you're never going to be able to keep ahead of all of the other good players that's not possible because they're also good um but you can you can have an edge against people who are might be competent at the game and know how to draft in general but not know the ins and outs of the format uh really um or who are stuck still trying to make the sort of synergistic decks that they were able to make at the beginning of set eight and now are more difficult um so in a general sense that's how you keep your edge and with a couple of specific examples those are some things those are some yeah. things so do you think that synergy decks are harder to draft 
I think they're harder to draft, but sometimes they're open anyway. Like uh, I've I've I still fall into that creation deck with relic uh, relic weapon uh, synergy, like bringing back edge of prophecy from the yard and that kind of thing. That's still I still sometimes draft that deck, not as often because people have caught on. People always want to draft that if they see it, but if it's open, you got to still know that it's it's there and you can make it happen. Also. Mm-hmm. You can make it happen in in different ways. Like if you don't actually see an edge of prophecy or a Shugo's hooked sword, you can't. But you are seeing uh, like keeper shields, then you can make sort of a facsimile of that deck because keeper shield is still uh, keeper shield is like the three one with spellcraft um, with spellcraft three. So if you spend three on it, it's a three one relic weapon. But if you spend six on it, it's a three five. It's a versatile card. And uh, it keeps the armor bonus. So if you bring it back, it gets even bigger. Um, that's not quite as powerful as Edge of Prophecy or, or uh, Shugo's Hooked Sword. But it's still fine. It like fills that role pretty well. So you can end up with a deck that looks kind of like the Edge of Prophecy deck. But it... Um, um, and then, but you'll have to sort of put in something else that's your powerful top end because that won't do it anymore. But it'll it'll still have the same advantages of the creation deck where you're bringing back a weapon and it gets better every time. Um, you're just actually your win condition it might be something else. So you just sort of adjust what your synergy decks actually look like. You know, um, they might not look exact. They might not have the exact cards in them that you would have had at the beginning of the format. But that general sense of which cards work together and the fact that creation is still a strong overall deck archetype um, where you're probably going to end up with a bunch of powerful cards and maybe you'll be get lucky enough to put some synergies together. That's still true. Um, and if everyone is having the same difficulty putting together synergy decks, then the person that has a little bit of synergy in their otherwise deck in the deck that is otherwise just full of strong cards is going to win out over the person who has a bunch of strong cards but basically no synergy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the other, um, the other thing I, I kind of wanted to talk to you about is this like idea of like keeping up with the meta game and like exploring. I, you know, I don't even know. Would you call them new decks? Like what you're drafting now? Like, you know, at the beginning of the format, no one really has played with the cards. They have no idea what they do. And so like, you're kind of just like picking cards to test them out. And you're like really exploring the format and you're gaining knowledge that way. And then you get comfortable with the format and you're drafting sort of similar, the best decks from the first couple weeks that you had success with. But then as those start to get sort of gobbled up, as other people realize how strong they are, you know, should should people be going sort of like starting anew almost and just like what is the what do you think the best way to reevaluate cards and synergies and ideas are like should we kind of just go back to an exploration phase where we're just like taking cards that we seem like they could be good now and uh i think well i'm gonna use my Maybe this is a little bit uh, parallel to what you're asking, but I'm going to talk about that silly deck that I that that I drafted on stream yesterday again, the one where I had Molot and Nakova and Larai in it. So we should draft legendaries. 
No, that's not what oh. I'm saying. There's a point within this, though. Um, the idea behind those Mollet and, and Nakova is a very powerful card, but also it's super hard to cast. It costs eight and it has uh, three fire and three primal in the cost. Unless you're playing Skycrag straight up, super hard to cast that card. Um, and I w- and I was uh, I also had Albin the Fallen, uh, which costs two primal and two time. And I had a Divining Rod, which is a, a weapon that uh, costs six, costs one time, gives a, a unit plus three, plus three, and then looks at the next four cards of your deck. And if any of them share a battle skill with that unit, uh, then you bring it directly into play. And Albin has three battle skills. It has Aegis uh, and Charge um, and Endurance. So the whole plan with this deck, this draft deck, was to get play Albin. Play Divining Rod on Albin, and then use that to cheat out either one of the two Corpse Blooms I was playing or Mollet and Nakova. Now, regardless of the fact that one of those cards is a legendary and one of them is a rare, the other two are, are uncommons, uh, the other three are uncommons, that's a ridiculous plan. <laughs> also, I think, no, two rares, one legendary, and two uncommons. That's not something that's likely to happen. And in all of the games that I played, and I played nine games with that deck, it never happened. I did put Divining Rod on Albin twice, and once I whiffed completely, and once I got a Lucky Prospector. So I got a free 1-1 with Endurance. <laughs> it was not a plan that actually worked, and yet I won seven games. Um, and the reason is not because I had Mollet Nakova in the deck, and not because I had uh, other like the other rares and uncommons necessarily. They were good cards that did, um, that did sort of put the the hammer blow on games once i'd gotten to that point uh but all of the other cards in my deck just sort of the workhorse cards that just kind of kept the deck going while i was trying to do other silly things were the cards that through experience i know are good meat and potatoes cards that can hold that can like hold a deck down while you try to do other things that push your deck's power over the top so you don't have to go back to the beginning because you already basically know which cards are good. But that sort of spice that makes a de- that brings a draft deck from being like you know good and functional to kind of great. Um, that's a lot. It's a lot easier to spice something if it's got a solid foundation, you know. And mm-hmm. figuring out the foundation for um, basically all of the faction combinations is what this whole first part of a draft format was about. You figured out, you know, creation is about this. It's usually about like relic weapons, and then you know, like maybe some war cry, and like just some. Uh, you, you're going to value bringing things back from the void a little higher in that deck because you tend to get rewarded. That kind of thing. You know that Xenon is about uh, capitalizing on on void interactions. You know, you figured out like where the powerful cards are in these various faction combinations and things. And so when you see opportunities like some random legendary that you've never played with or even rares that are difficult to figure out how to use or something that has a lot of power um, but it isn't necessarily something that you have a lot of experience with and you're not quite sure how to make it work in a deck, you kind of have all of the knowledge that you've accumulated about how to build the rest of the deck so you don't have to worry about supporting that one thing. You can devote a couple of slots in your deck to try to make some weird interaction work because you know everything else is going to work because you have experience with it. Um, So it's sort of like you're... uh, I I would say that the healthiest way to approach this right now um, is to be willing to be experimental with the knowledge that you're going to be able to build a deck 
that 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 functions um, even if the experiment fails. Mm-hmm. I like that. I think I think that's a good place to end this main topic. Great. Okay. <laughs> no. Did, did you want yeah. me to say anything else? No. No, that's great. Uh, I think I think I, no uh, I so kind of surprised myself, frankly. So I think I think we're in a good place with this. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's really helpful, and that kind of cleared things up for me. And this is kind of what I was hoping to get out of this this sort of nebulous topic of keeping an edge as a format matures. So I think that was good. <clears throat> So, so do we have a draft to look at here? We do have a draft. Do you want to do this quickly? Yeah, let's take a look. Okay. So this is a draft that I've been, I kind of inspired by Argo Control. I I started, I did a, a pick by pick draft walkthrough and uh, I made it uh, 15 picks deep. And then I, I, I actually kind of got stuck where I really wasn't sure what to do. And since we're recording the podcast, I thought I would, um, I thought we could do it here. It's kind of an interesting draft so far, so I think it's worth talking about. But you can also follow along because eventually I'll restart the draft <laughs> in, huh. um, in the Discord. But um, yeah, so here it is. So pack one, pick one, uh, cards in contention. There's a Blazing Salvo, which is the one fire fast spell that deals two, two damage to a unit, and then it can go into your market and get a two-cost card. There's an Aramot's Machinations, which is the five Xenon spell. There's a Fire Conjuring, uh, which is the three fire fire. Units get plus two attack this turn and decimate invoke fire. And there is a Pack Conjuring, which um, gives an enemy unit plus attack minus health equal to the highest attack in your void and decimates to invoke for shadow. So the those three cards are all pretty good in the common slot. There's a book club Yeti, a brood of Aramot, I think are probably the best cards um, there. So for me, it's really between Blazing Salvo and Aramot's Machinations. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I ended up taking Aramot's Machinations. It's kind of a card I've enjoyed. And I just, we talked about this in our rare episode. I, I know Blazing Salvo is good, but I just don't believe in the card, and I just am still <laughs> not that excited to get a two-drop out of my market. Sure, so, sure. So. Uh, I would still take Machinations here over Salvo. Uh, the, and the reason being that Machinations' ceiling is sky high. Uh, it's always a good card, but when it's very good, uh, it's, it's, um, it's game-winning by itself. Like, there's so many ways to give something some like ability uh, and then and then bring it back a little bit bigger and have that be just sort of the final nail on the coffin for your opponent you know anything with killer anything with uh like exalted from an immortalized just just there's so many things there's so many little tiny interactions that machinations turns into game winning plays um and you don't have to bring back more than two units from your void. Sometimes you don't have to bring back more than one unit from your void because it's coming back into play. Uh, it's got plus one, plus one, and overwhelm, and then that's all that needs to happen. Uh, it's it's a brutally good card, and uh, it's easily splashable if you're in even one of the factions um, that it is in. 
Plus, Xenon is one of the best faction combinations to be in anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's why this is kind of an interesting pick for me, is because I think on power level, Aramont's Machinations is the better card, but it is more expensive. It is yes. two, it's, you know, it's double color, or how do you say that? It's two colors, and what? Oh, nothing. It's double color, but not. that's not the right word. Two colors. <laughs> right? That, there, I think there's a difference, right? Double color sounds like Sounds fire, like fire double influence. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I guess sort of it does. It's more, it's uh, it's clearer if it's two colors. Yeah. Yeah. It's dual yeah, faction. It's two colors. While Blazing Salvo is less powerful, but it's cheaper and it can go in any deck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Splashing one fire is very easy. Yeah, I think Salvo is a great card. Um, there's a lot of stuff that it doesn't kill, though, in this format. Yes. There's a lot of. There's a lot of two threes for three that that uh, it can't kill. There's broods of Aramot. You know, it, it's it's very good for what it is, but the mm-hmm. ceiling on it is pretty low. It does what it does. Yes. Whereas yeah, so Machinations, I, I, there's a million interactions that put it over the top. There's nothing like that with Salvo. It's just a card that kills one other unit. Yeah, and sometimes gets rid of a power or something. Right. Yeah. All right. So then I took Machinations. And going into pack two, feeling pretty good about this because uh, there is a Defile as one of the uncommons, which is the two shadow kill an enemy unit with cost three or less, then steal it and put it into your void. Uh, the other two uncommons aren't particularly great. Um, and then in fire, there is a Ruinous Burst, Covetous Stranger, and Fury Blade in the common slot. There are no shadow commons. Um, and then in time, there's a humbug nest and a grave watch ancestor. Um, but I don't think any of them reach to the level of the power level of defile and defile is in one of the colors of Aramont's machinations. Yeah. And works very well with it since anything that you could defile, you can bring back with machinations. Exactly. So feeling pretty good about that. So I slam defile there. Okay. Then pick three. Cards in contention. Um, there are two uncommons left. So, so far, someone took a rare and an uncommon from this pack. And the cards are Bottled Storm, which is the three primal relic that you can pay three to deal one damage to an enemy. And then after the third activation, you get to draw three cards. There's a display of tradition, which is the three-time justice primal display that does a whole bunch of things. Um, some of them pretty good. <laughs> and then um, in shadow, there is a Felrox infiltrator and an entranced cultist. There are no straight time cards. And then there's um, a blade crafter in fire. And then in justice, there's a sky king storyteller and a dive bomb. And there are no good primal commons. Well, there's no pick that's just jumping out at me here um, as being the obvious correct one. I agree. I I feel like probably the best card is Bladecrafter if you're in the right deck for it. I mean, if you're in or Display of Tradition, but that's this early in the draft it's still i'm not on picking displays this early um 
So Displays probably feels like the most powerful card. And then Bladecrafter is really good. We just got wrecked a ton in our last episode by Bladecrafter. We did. So. That was that was unusual, though. I don't think I've played against the Bladecrafter since then, and I've done several drafts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, so, and there's no easy, like, time card to pick. And then the shadow cards are not that inspiring to me. No, they're not exciting. It's nice to have an Entranced Cultist in your deck if you're playing in Aramont's Machinations, but that doesn't mean you should be picking it up early. Uh, just kind of a nice bonus to have a playable one drop. Um, and uh, and I, I always sort of wish that Bottled Storm was really good, but it's it's a very slow card. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, what did, uh, I, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not actually sure what to say uh, about this one. Um, yeah, I ended up taking the Entranced Cultist, not being yeah. super, ha- not being super happy about it. But I figured I might as well stay heavy shadow because you can sort of work from that. Sure. And- Instead of picking up like a blade crafter, um, which you know, as a double fire unit is kind of a little complicated, but like the yeah, bottled storm be. and display of tradition are so so far off from like the two really powerful cards that I got that I I wasn't really excited to lean into that direction yet. Right, I might I might still take the display of tradition here. Um, just in case it did pan out, uh, just because I figure filler cards uh, come along, and uh, and anything else that you pick from this pack would probably be filler. So, uh, but Entranced Cultist is is fine there. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, just, I, it's like going said, in a little hard on your first two picks because sometimes you do have to abandon your first two picks, and now you're in a position where you might have to abandon your first three picks. Yes. Yeah. Though. Yeah. So I think even if you pick Display of Tradition, you still might have to abandon your first three picks. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. true. Well, so then we go into pick four, uh, Cards in Contention. The rare is still here, and that is Fearless Crescendo, which is the one justice. Give a unit flying, and then you may swap a card from your hand with the three-cost card in your market. There is a display of purpose, which is the three Justice Primal Shadow one that gives the unit plus one, plus one, and exalted, and then does a couple other things. There is, um, in Shadow, as far as the commons go, there's only a Succumb and an Urgent Missive, which are both two very not exciting cards. In Time, there's a Precision Plunge and a Pause for Reflection. Not really what I'm looking at looking for uh in fire there's an inferno zealot and then we have a token of purpose okay so Um, this is also felt like a a big curveball of a pick and not (laughs) i'm pretty comfortable taking the zealot here actually Mm -hmm. Uh, especially because you just took uh an entranced cultist i think that zealot plays well in the kind of uh, in the kind of deck that starts out with defiles and entranced cultists, that yes. that that general stone scar kind of I'm going to be attacking you with large things. Uh, hope you have answers, kind of a deck. Yeah, 
You know, that was kind of what my instinct was. Um, Mercurio Blue started chiming in with the draft, and he kind of talked up giving a chance on Fearless Crescendo. Sure. Um, you know, with... You know, giving a giving a unit flying in the... I don't know. Just like... It leaves... It's not that bad of a card. There's some good three drops you want to get out of your market, potentially. As well as the fact that... You know, with having taken an Entrance Cultist, this leaves you open for this, like, battle skills matter kind of thing, and then bringing it back with an Aramot's Machinations later. You know, you can... It kind of... It's a little cute, but... It is a plausible card, so... Yeah, it's fine. I think that Fearless Crescendo is the sort of card that's very good when it's good, but sometimes it's not good. Um, uh, and maybe I'm undervaluing it uh, a little bit. I, I think even with all of that, I would still take the Zealot here. And this is part of me looking forward in the draft and drafting a kind of deck that I like drafting more so than it is evaluating it on specific card strength. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's kind of weird to say. It's like another one of these things. It's kind of like taking in Transcultus fourth. I really like Inferno Zealot, but I'm like really not excited. Or... I mean, it's not exciting to take it this early. Uh, I, I agree. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, it's fine to take Crescendo here. I just... Uh, I don't know. I it's uh I guess I don't I guess I maybe I am undervaluing Crescendo cuz I do take something like uh like Feather pretty high. Uh the one the attack the weapon that just gives plus 1 plus 0 and flying to a to a unit. I usually Elder Feather I usually take that right away and Crescendo is not that far from that cuz it's a permanent buff. Um Yeah, it's a permanent buff and it doesn't give plus thing. 1 plus 0 but it potentially draws you a card yeah it does so maybe i'm just not valuing it high enough and it's a perfectly fine card to take here it just does start you on a new faction but you're only four picks in so it's it's not too late to keep doing that yeah um that is true though the inferno zealot starts being on a new faction too i guess that's true yeah i it is true, and yet it doesn't feel like it is to me because of the way factions work together in this set. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. You know, it's interesting, though, yeah. because I agree, because you're like, well, you took in, in Transcultus, so that's obviously a nice Stone Scar deck. But, you know, I just had success with this Argentport deck, and it kind of made me appreciate what you can do with Argentport, too. Sure. So I think in Transcultus, giving quick draw and then you know justice is still the faction where you're at least slightly likely to get um you know pump spells and stuff so they do go together also and if you end up in argentport and it is sort of a I, I, what i find is difficult in argentport if you end up trying to give your units battle skills is that sometimes there's not enough ways to give your units battle skills. Mm -hmm. And you you end up with like Switchblade Dead Eyes and other things that care about battle skills and not enough ways to activate them. And Crescendo is one way to activate them. Yeah. Yeah, not a bad... That's not a bad spell to play on uh, a Dead Eye. No, no, it's very good. Yeah. All right. But then we get all screwed up because in... <laughs> <laughs> what? 
<laughs> Nothing. It's just you. It's just comic timing is all, and I'm laughing at it. <laughs> Pick five. Uh, there are three uncommons left. They are. Um, I won't read all of them, but one of them is a Shugo's Hook Sword, which is the seven fire fire seven five relic weapon. When you deal damage, play a two two Oni Grunt. There's another display of purpose. Um, and then there's some not very good commons left. So someone took a rare and three of the uncommons, probably the good uncommons from this pack. I mean, having taken Inferno Zealot in the last pack, I would take Shugo's Hooked Sword and be thrilled about it. Uh, but since you didn't, and Fire would be a new faction for you, I would still take Shugo's Hooked Sword. <laughs> yes. I, I agree. I... The thing that did give me pause slightly is the fact that there was a display of purpose in the last pack, and sure. we're kind of in Argentport, and I could see, you know, I can kind of see a deck forming around the cards I have that yeah. <laughs> likes display of purpose. Um, but I would much rather be in a deck that played Shugo Hooksword than trying to be fancy and playing in a purpose deck. Right. Yeah, purpose is just hard to put together. Um, but yeah, seeing two in a row makes you think, oh, maybe this is the one. Yeah. All right. And then um, and then pick six, uh, cards in contention. In the uncommon slot, there is a Reborn Master, which is the two Argentport 2-3 Endurance. Your, your units with more than, with two or more battle skills get plus one attack. Um, so that's there. And then in fire, there's a fury blade in time. There's a humbug's nest in justice. There's a will breaker shadow. There's a triumphant return. And also in time, there's a grave watch ancestor. So hmm. this is kind of a weird follow up pack because all of a sudden there's good commons are, are reappearing. Yeah. And then there's a pretty good uncommon in reborn master to fit kind of this theoretical deck that we're talking about yeah you are in an you are, if you're in an Argentport deck it is a pretty good to drop uh it would still take triumphant return over it though uh yes and that's actually what i did do yeah yeah the thing about triumphant return like you take a triumphant return and you're still like very low on units in this deck so far but having a triumphant return means no matter what crappy units you're playing on the first couple of turns, they're coming back and they're major threats. Okay. So the <laughs> then this draft did it to me again. Yep. Uh, so pick seven. Cards in oh, contention. Hey. It's an edge of prophecy. There's an edge of prophecy. Has <laughs> <laughs> the one uncommon left. Uh-huh. Uh, then in the common slots... Uh, there's no fire cards. Right. Uh, there's a sunset enforcer in time. Yep. In shadow, there's a switchblade deadeye, and then there's a rage heart paladin, a book club yeti, and an enchanted plate mail. With the cards that you have in your pool, I'm pretty sure I take deadeye here. You take deadeye? I think so. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I ended up taking the edge of prophecy. Yeah. And. I just felt like, how do you get a fifth pick Shugoxord and a seventh pick Edge of Prophecy without 
some sort of deck being open. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know how you do. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Uh, the relic weapon deck might be open for sure. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, I th- I, it's fine to take that. I guess you've got a Shugothuk sword, and then this would be the edge of, an edge of prophecy. Yes. Right. Um, otherwise, you've got kind of a unit recursion theme going with your shadow cards. <clears throat> yes. So you're going to have to decide on one of them because it's really hard to make both of those work in the same deck. I I agree. Um, and the other weird thing um, is, like, I don't know. Like, the other thing that made me kind of take a flyer on Edge of Prophecy is... I do have mostly shadow cards right now, but I do have a couple justice cards. So I was almost wondering if like justice could be my, my sort of linchpin and then maybe I draft, draft like an FJS deck with a splash of time, or maybe I just draft like, uh, you know, a Rakano deck with just like a light time splash or something, or a light shadows splash for Aramont's machinations. I don't know. I don't know. It's just seemed Edge yeah. of Prophecy seemed I don't I mean, know. There's, no just... question, there's no question that it's a good card. Uh I just don't think that you can do all of it. You're yeah. you're gonna have to so I mean you can just say, well, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to drop two or three of the cards that I already have now later on uh once i decide what direction that this draft is going in but edge of prophecy will be a a powerful card on its own you only need so many seven drop weapons in my experience like once you've got a shugo's hook sword and edge of prophecy you're probably good on your on your expensive relic weapons and so then you would be starting to look for ways of supporting that deck so i don't know um uh, there might be some crossover here and there uh, between the two decks, but I don't think that they're the same deck. No, I I agree. I think I think I wanted to take it just in case that was open, and I'm still willing to jump ship and go back into a more Argentport, you know, sort of an Argentport or shadow based deck if need okay. be. Fair enough. But, but I did take the edge of prophecy here. Okay, and then. Again, the signals continue to be a little confusing to me. Um, in pick eight, cards in contention, there's a display of tradition left, which, uh, as a reminder, is the time justice primal display. And then there is a fury blade, an ensnare, an assault shield, and a sunset enforcer. Yeah. Well... And I just took a fury blade here yeah i think fury blade's fine yeah but like see then you see this pack next and you're like well maybe it you know i felt like i was like maybe i made the right choice here in thinking this weapon deck is open uh are we still talking about the fury blade pack or the one after yeah because there's a couple of weapons i don't think so i think i think a lot of people value fury blade really really low so it's not an indication that a weapon deck is open edge of prophecy uh seventh pick is an indication that a weapon deck is open well fury blade Blade is just a little bonus that fury but it's like there's no shadow card (laughs) you know i mean i don't know you know it's just like there's 
And this the only like justice the, card is in snare. I mean, like obviously, you can only pack read so that much doesn't in have a shadow card in it, though. What? Like, this is the first pack that doesn't have a shadow common that's pickable in it, though. Uh, like, I, all of the others have had something. Um, yeah, well, think, more or less. Well, yeah. more or less, yeah. The, yeah, I guess there were a couple of succumbs in a row, but that might have been the only shadow card in the whole pack. Yeah. Um, all right, and then into pick nine, uh, cards of contention. There is just a soul drain smithing, and then two primal commons and rage. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna have, you've already got three weapons in your pool. You might as well take a soul drain smithing. Yeah, and I'm not taking a primal card by now. And right. then I I fill out the pack with uh, siege provisions, um, a token of creation, and then a rage. Sure. And these those are those are fine. Yeah. I mean that late siege provisions and the late token are good. Yes. And that 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 was pick eleven, and it was a create token of creation or a rage heart paladin were up against each other, and I took the token of creation even though I am really unit light in this deck. Yeah. But I just wasn't comfortable, even though. I'm sort of leaning into this creation deck now. I still wasn't comfortable taking Rage Heart Paladin because in if I'm playing it with Shadow, it is a much less good card. Also, it's kind of expensive for having all of these seven drops right now. Sure. Um, was kind of my thinking. So I did just take the token there. But yeah, so if I cut Shadow and I'm in this creation deck, I currently have zero units. And okay. Yeah. If I add Shadow back in, I have an Entrance Cultist. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at this point, I wouldn't even be thinking that I would be playing the Anaramot's Machinations because it's so unlikely that you'll have enough units to make it even a card. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I would I would be leaning pretty heavily heavily on the side of trying to make a weapon deck. Um, and then your units, as you pick them up, will need to be kind of defensive units that can keep you alive until you get some sort of relic weapon recursion going. Although, yeah. again, that is a more difficult thing to do now than it was at the beginning of the format, because people are picking up relic recursion a little higher, but it's still possible to build. Yeah, and I mean, I have key pieces already. I mean, I have the soldier and smithing, and I have... Yeah. The two best relic weapons um, in my pool. The The interesting part is, for me, what's weird is, like, the only unit I really missed out on is Switchblade Deadeye. Right. You know, after that, there were no real good Shadow or Justice units to appear. No, not after that. So, um, like... In my version of the deck, I have an Inferno Zealot, but that's only... I mean, that's not, like, the unit that you're looking for for a deck like this. Yes. And, like, a Switchblade Deadeye um, is, but, like, going into pack two, you're like, okay, I have myself a deck. I got an Aramont's Machinations, and I have a Cultist and a Deadeye. I am ready to go. And they're like, oh, yeah, that that's really great. What else do you have? And you're like, no, that's that's my deck. <laughs> That's a good um, deck. <laughs> it is, but you, you unfortunately need 24 other cards, which this, yeah, this deck do. currently doesn't have. That's true. Um, 
But, well, uh, I like I, I I guess right now I like the relic weapon decks chances a little bit more. Uh, yes. So I would try to make that happen. Yep, and which is which is interesting because this is kind of what happens with pick one um, cards in contention. Um, there is a mage breaker, which is the three fire fire three two relic weapon with spellcraft two play and unexpected results, which turns. Um, spell a spell into a firebomb in your opponent's deck. So that's the rare. And then the uncommons aren't really helpful, but in the common slot, there is a finest hour, a cut ties, and an immortalize. And then the only real unit that's possible for my deck is a swaying sea Karen. Yeah, no, the units are not real exciting here. Uh, and finest hour is not a, is, is not a, is a great card. But not super exciting if you're not going to have a lot of units. Yeah, yes. It's definitely not great in the Relic Weapon deck. If I want to keep both decks going... Because, like, a Mage Breaker is a Relic Weapon, but it's like... I could live without a Mage Breaker. Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) I could live without a Mage Breaker. So then it's like, I could take a... Just in case we go back to the original deck... Because that does have some powerful cards in Defile and Aramot's mm-hmm. Machinations. Like, maybe a Finest Hour is good in that deck. And so is an Immortalize. And so is a Cut Ties. Yeah, I don't think I would pick up an Immortalize right now with such a low unit count. Uh, it is, it's a great card in that deck. You just don't have very many of the pieces for that deck at this point. I would take the Cut Ties over it if I was going to take a Shadow card. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, I ended up taking Mage Breaker because I was, like, all in on this creation sure. deck in my head. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but I do feel like I... I don't know. I'm not sure if that's correct. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know either. Um, it's a little weird. <laughs> it's, yeah. It, like, you only need so many Relic Weapons to make the Relic Weapon deck work, uh, is the thing about it. Yeah, Mage Breaker is 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 good, um, but also I'd be looking to fill in the other pieces of the deck over picking more relic weapons at this point. But it's fine; uh, yeah. it's a fine pick. And there's no other. No, there's no the, other. The, the pieces aren't. The, the pieces aren't fill there. in the pieces. You know, there aren't. Mean? Yeah, absolutely not. Um, all right, so then pick two is <laughs> I would call a disappointing pack for me. Um, so. The rare that's left is Cheering Section, uh, which is the four Praxis thing that plays Totemites sometimes, and you can sacrifice them for power. It's impossible. I don't think it's a good card. Uh, There is a Ruthless Stranger, which is the one fire, one one strange, and then Stranger, where Strangers have plus one attack. There's a Battle Tested Stranger, which is the five time, two two Stranger. Your Strangers have plus two, plus two. Um, So... None of them really fit the plan of the deck. Um, there's a couple... Um, there's an Oni Samurai, which is the one justice, one two war cry. Hey, that's a unit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple shadow... Or a couple primal cards. The shadow cards are Malaise and Banewolf. Not super exciting. There's also a Valkyrie Denouncer, which is the five Arjunport 3-3 three, three with Flying and Revenge. So... That card would be pretty good in an Argent port deck, but we've been leaning away from that. Sure. Um, 
so this was a weird pack for me. So I ended up taking Oni Samurai just as like a unit because sure. we honestly in the creation deck have zero units right now. Right. And this unit could go in either deck at least. That's true. Also, Sam, yeah, and Samurai does, uh, I mean, Warcry does help Relic Weapons. It makes them better. Um, so it's not like it's it's not uh, on theme for it. I was sort of leaning towards the Denouncer a little bit. That's really very much straddling the two decks, but Samurai's fine. Yeah. Yeah, Denouncer, I feel like, is, is like straddling in the sense that you're picking good cards for one deck and then picking good cards for another deck. Yeah. And I was like hoping I was taking, I think Denouncer's the much better card over Oni Samurai. But like Oni Samurai is the I'm just picking bad cards that could go in either deck <laughs> plan. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's the right strategy or not. My first my first inclination is to take uh, is to take Denouncer here. But um, uh, I don't. Uh, there's nothing wrong with taking Samurai. It's just I don't know. It's tough to make Samurai. Samurai is a very unreliable card uh, if you're not in a very aggressive deck because for, I mean, just obvious reasons is if you're not playing it on turn one, it has a really hard time attacking because it's so small. Yes. All right. And then pick three. Um, the rare is gone. One uncommon has gone. The other two uncommons are still... Well, the shadow one is Vile Collaborator, which is the three shadow two three. There is a Magma Javelin. There is a in fire. The other fire unit is a razor wire totemite. Um, in time, there's a proselytize. There's a rotocycle, and there's a sky rag stranger. Um, yeah, that's like the one influence stranger that doesn't help you here. Uh, <laughs> otherwise i'd say snap up that stranger but not in this case uh yeah i mean i don't know uh you're not getting great packs here yeah well Ritter... i don't think they're bad packs they're just like not good packs for me <laughs> right like we're at the point here where you have so many relic weapons that picking up another one is uh, kind of gives you diminishing returns. You're always going to have a relic weapon in hand uh, if you uh, if you also play javelin, but uh, it's sort of up to the whims of fate whether you've got the right relic weapon in hand at the right time. Yeah. And then if you're playing just nothing but relic weapons, that basically means you're just playing removal and you don't have any way of winning the game. Yes, and it's all dealing damage to myself. That's true. And Javelin is one of the worst defenders there. That one of the nice things about Edge of uh, Edge of Prophecy is is that you gain six armor when you play it. So it's it takes the sting out of it. Javelin uh, applies the sting directly to your forehead. Yes. Yeah. So I actually did take this guy Crag Stranger. It's not super helpful, but I do have a Shugo Hook Sword, so that is double time. Double fire. Um, yeah. Or double fire, sorry, It's double fire. Um, so I don't, I don't know. In this, in the Stone Scar deck that I'm still drafting, if you go by my picks, I would take Collaborator. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even without any dragons, it's got a lot of potential. Yeah, but that's not really the deck that you're in now. So that's more of the theoretical deck that I would probably be drafting at this point. 
Yeah, no, I, I kind of like that. I mean, it did work out that that <laughs> I like that deck better. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean that's or the Argent Port slash Stones card. But I think I would be in Stones card at this point just because of the the style that I personally have in draft. Um, Stones cards. Uh, splashing Aramont's machinations. Uh, I don't blame you for getting into a relic weapon deck, though. It's very attractive when you see a seventh pick edge of prophecy. But we'll see if the cards ever come for it. Yeah, we'll see. Because so I took the Skycrack Changer, and then this is the final pick. This is the pick that I stopped on. Because um, this is pick four and pack two. Uh, cards in contention. There is a Rampage. There is a Venom Fang Dagger. There is a Teriax Hatchling, there's an Immortalize, there's a Xenon Stranger, and there's a Combust. Yeah. Well, so nothing, these... Nothing for the Relic Weapon deck at all. Yes. Not even just like a... I mean, there's the Xenon Stranger, which is kind of like the Skycrag Stranger, where you're like, well, I mean, I guess this is maybe slightly... It's like one on color, and I'm not even sure I'm really in time. But it's a unit. But boy, are there some tantalizingly good Stone Scar colors or cards here. Uh, there sure are. Yeah, all yeah. of these are real good. Uh, if I'm low at units, uh, if I'm low on units at this point, then I snap up the Zenith Stranger and I'm really happy about it. It helps splash Aramot's machinations. If I have enough units at this point, then Immortalize starts looking really good because it's also good with machinations and it's just sort of a great card. Uh, and if I'm low at re- on removal at this point, then Combust is good although i don't think there was any way to have enough units where combust started looking good at this point in the draft so it's probably zine and stranger here i think for me uh but in for your deck uh i don't um i don't even know there's no cards at all here i guess i would take zine and stranger and maybe look just towards playing some kind of a four faction abomination at this point yeah yeah i mean I I have to. I guess what I'm wondering here is, yeah, for me, for me, it was kind of like I don't know, it was between Zine and Stranger and Immortalize, in a in a sense. I don't. It's crazy to take an Immortalize here, I guess, because I you have, do have to Immortalize something. Something. <laughs> I know. You do have but, to have some units. <laughs> And yeah, I, but more, I, I more feel, so than that, you need to have two units so that yeah. the exalted means something. Yeah, I guess my thinking was just to take immortalize to like force myself to then commit to this deck. That's interesting. Then um, you're in kind of a coercive relationship with yourself. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you better draft more units, buddy. Yeah, well, because I mean. It, in the in the deck that I I want this deck to be, Immortalize is uh-huh. going to be great. Uh huh. But well, it's not the deck that you've been drafting, though. It, it's not the deck I've been drafted. Though I I do think in my defense, yes. You know, you're not you don't have that many more units <laughs> than I do. No, not like that many. Just a couple. Yeah, yeah, a couple. So like two. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that you would still take Xenon Stranger makes me think I should just take Xenon Stranger. Uh, yeah, I think I probably would. I think there, I think, 
I, I just, I mean, Immortalize is a stronger card, but you got to start building a deck at some point. And I think Xenid Stranger gives you both a unit and the option to play more colors in a deck that hasn't quite found its footing yet. Yeah, I agree. So anyway, so I thought this was kind of an interesting draft where I've gotten powerful cards, but boy, does are these packs not leading me in a in a direction? Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't. I'm not exactly sure how a, a first pack looks like that. Like I'm not. I can't get into the heads of the other people that were in your virtual pod and figure out why it happened that way. But uh, I, it does happen sometimes. Like a, this is a pretty common way for a draft to start. Like you just sort of have to take a chance, and then if pack two doesn't hook you up, then you're kind of in trouble, but you do, if you're split as much as you were at the end of a first pack, then you just have to choose a direction at some point. We're only four pick, picks into the pack two, um, but you're at risk of not having enough playables in the final deck right now. So you have to say, well, I am seeing more of this kind of card, so let's start building this deck and maybe give up on the other one. I don't yeah. think it's possible to play a Relic Weapon deck and a, like a Void Recursion deck in the same deck. with you. Yeah, no, I agree. The thing that... <clears throat> I guess the thing I was going to say for Immortalize is not even necessarily that I should take it because, like I like you said, I don't have any units. But these last two packs, and it's still early, but I, or maybe it's just this pack. It's like really making me feel like I should be in Stone Cigar or Argent mm -hmm. or or that Shadow is Shadow is going to be open. It seems pack. like it is reasonably going to be open for this pack and then maybe the next two packs as well. Yeah. So I, that's making me think I should sort of lean away from the weapon and go back to trying to do something with machinations and recursion and unit recursion. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's a better shot. Uh I think I think it's more likely that that turns into a deck than the other one, but again, you are just taking a chance, no matter which one you choose, because you don't know how the cards are gonna are gonna come. Yeah. All right, cool. So I think we'll end the show there. Um, you just don't know. That's my final word on the subject. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Drafting is hard. Yeah. Um, because you never know. Never know. But uh, once again, uh, thanks to all our patrons for making this show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Join us in our Discord, link in the show notes. Finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts. And don't forget to send in all seven win deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Have a good night. Goodbye. Yeah, this is the first time I noticed that I say thanks for making the show a success. Uh huh. I just, that's not a thing I would say. I would never claim that this show is a success. It's weird. I've been saying this for, yeah, 50 something episodes now. I don't know. We're kind of a success. I don't know. That's, that's fine. That's uh, just some solid neurolinguistic programming where you, if you say it, people will assume it's true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's what I'm going for. Yeah. Yeah, just some. I'm either trying to program you, or I'm I am saying it with a with a wry wink. I don't know.
Yeah, one of those two things. One of those two. Plausible deniability. (laughs) All right. Have a good night, everyone.